Okay, well, good morning. Uh, if you're with us for the first time, you're really welcome. Uh, if you're visiting again, that's, that's great. So um, we are in a new series about um, how we live our lives. We're just going to call it like that for now. And it's called A Rule of Life, and we will uh, explain that a little bit later. Last week, we looked at something called slowing, looking at how our lives are very busy and often rushed, and how we can begin to think about sort of slowing that down and what some of the benefits would be. And this week, we're thinking about the topic of simplicity. Now, we live, probably you're aware, <laughs> of a society quite obsessed with stuff. Our economy, in fact, is built around this idea of buying uh, not what we need, but what we want. Um, and we need people to continue to spend, because if they don't, our economy starts to fall down. And we saw this in COVID when uh, we were given messages such as, like, we need people to go shopping, we need people to start using restaurants, eat out to help out, and all that sort of thing. But, of course, our society wasn't always built on this. Um, most people put the birth of consumerism down to a period following the First World War. Um, and they attribute it to a guy named Paul. And we're going to have his quote next on the screen. I've got a little clicker, actually. I could do my own. And he is Paul Mazur from Lehman Brothers. And he said this just after the First World War. We must shift America from a needs to a desire culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old has been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And this approach is put down to... Um, but they sort of point to it as being based in psychology, that we can manipulate people to desire something based on um, their kind of lust for something or their fear of something else. It's what drives us today when we see people wanting to buy the latest iPhone for £1,200 when they already have a phone in their pocket. Mm. Um, I mustn't talk about my children too much, but that's exactly what I was told was wanted for Christmas, the new iPhone. Because that would obviously transform our lives, wouldn't it? That, if I had that, wow. Yes, it does exactly what the other one did. But it's been packaged in titanium. <laughs> that's upset. It's crazy. Or, you know, or even down to labels. We get a Gucci sunglasses. You can have that for £400. Or you could have some for £20. But you already have five pairs. So why do you need another one? We don't know, do we? Or a pair of jeans for £50 when we've got 12 in our wardrobe that don't fit us. We laugh because we know it's true. Our religion is consumerism. We're sold happiness and fulfillment. Um, a guy named Greg Easterbrook, he writes this. 
He says, Europeans have ever more of everything except happiness. Um, And he writes that in um, a book called The Progress Paradox, How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse. And he's looking at that kind of that kind of idea that, yes, we can be more happy, but they reach the point when actually our wealth or our stuff begins to make us feel unhappy. And I want to point out that poor is not something to be spiritualized. It's not get poorer, get happier. Being poor is, is not good. There is no joy in poverty. But there is a certain point where it changes and we get a disease Chances are that if you're in here or you, you're watching online, you do live in the West. And, you know, it's a tough sermon this morning, so I'm so sorry. I'll be as gentle as I can. But we are in the top percentage of wealth in the world. We're in the top 10%. 90% of the world are poorer than us. And just to give you an idea, this is a website I found. So this is someone earning £20,000 a year, and they have one child. So they're a single-parent family. Now, in the UK, they're in the bottom 30%. They, they are struggling in our country. They are struggling, and we don't want to dismiss that. But they're still in the top 10% globally. And that is terrifying, isn't it? I was chatting with Emily this morning. We were talking about the Hunger Games, because that's, that's the year eight book. And she was like, oh, yeah, she's really into it. I said, you realize we're the people in the city? And she was like, what? What do you mean we're the people in the city? I said, yeah, we're, we've got all the money. She is shocked, shocked to the core. That's not something we want to think about, is it? More than ever, though, I think people are waking up that stuff doesn't equal good. It doesn't necessarily equal happiness. We have a massive movement of minimalism. If you go on YouTube, you can find tiny houses, tiny stuff, minimalize your life, get rid of your stuff, decluttering, loads of stuff. We know that we're overwhelmed. But simplicity is not simple. We are addicts. And that is a hard thing to say. But you might be asking, well, what is simplicity? What is it? So here are some definitions to get us going. No, that's not the one I want. There we go. So this Josh Becker says, a minimalist, and we can, we can use that with simplicity. Um, he's a minimalist. He's written loads of books. He says, the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. So if we're thinking about our lives last week, we're thinking about removing stuff from our lives to focus on what matters more. And simplicity is part of that. Um, Next one. Simplicity cultivates the great art of letting go. Simplicity aims to loosen, loosen inordinate attachments to owning and having. And then finally, Richard Foster. He said... It's an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle, and we'll discuss that a bit later, of choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions towards what matters most. And preparing this, I really struggled, and it's something I really struggle with. So, um, And I think when we look at simplicity, 
it's easy to point the finger maybe to think, oh, that person has so much money or that person has, oh, isn't that terrible? You know, we can point to the big multi-billion players in the world and yes, we can. But I know that, you know, it's easy for me. I did yesterday, I went into town with my girls and we're just swamped by stuff that we're being told to buy and I'm trying to help them to make good choices. It's tough. My journey, I think, with this started in COVID. Like a lot of people sitting at home, I'm thinking, oh, well, I've only worn one outfit this week. Um, I'll wash that now. I could wear that again next week, couldn't I? And, uh, you know, stuff like that. And, oh, well, I really only need this one mug. So I got 42 mugs. Um, Maybe I could get rid of some of them. And I started to look at simplicity and watch stuff on minimalism and became very convinced, yes, this is a path I want to take. And I've got rid of hundreds of items. You know, the, the mugs are still too many, but probably half went. The clothes went right down to very little uh, in my wardrobe. Uh, My family have a joke that if they don't, like, have something nailed down, mum's probably given it away. (laughs) Because I started to look at, do I need five sets of cutlery? Do I? I don't need it. I only need one. Do I need 42 mugs? No. If the house group comes around, there's only 12 of them, and probably not all of them drink hot drinks. And I could probably just, you know... We could probably use something else, couldn't we? We have to start thinking about this. If I'm going to have a party, there's a guy down the road. He has boxes and boxes of stuff in his garage. He's happy to lend to anyone. So what's stopping me borrowing it? Is it pride? What's going on? I could come to church. I could get some plates. I could take them home. Do I need 42 cups and 42? I don't. And so I began this journey, and I am miles away from where I want to be. Simplifying is a journey, and it's one we learn along the way. So don't, you know, you can be overwhelmed by it, but I'd say just do one thing at a time. Last week, we looked at slowing, and I think the key question for me, and it might be different for you, was, am I present now? And that was helping me thinking, well, if I'm doing something and I'm already thinking about the next thing or tomorrow, I probably got too much on if I can't be present here now. And I think the key question for us today is what is the true cost? So when we're simplifying, what is the cost? When I'm going to buy something, I ask myself, what's the true cost of this item? I've got to keep it, store it, look after it. Um, Have I got room for it? Then I can begin, what's the cost? Where did it come from? Who made it? How much did it cost those people? When my children are trying to download Timu, and I'm saying, they're saying it's so cheap. And I say, well, why is it cheap? Why is it cheap? Because that's the question, isn't it, for all of us. Why is it cheap? Because if it's cost me very little, chances are it cost this person a lot. And trying to begin to answer those questions. So I've got a couple of questions. You can think about them on your own. Just switch off. It's fine. No one will talk to you. We can talk to the next person, person next to you. But just to get us in the mood, I want you to 
In what ways have you been exposed to or become aware of the movement towards simplicity and minimalism? And have you ever taken steps in the past to simplify your stuff or life? And why did you do that? So I'm going to give you five minutes. If you're watching at home, you've got five minutes to make a cup of tea. Okay. Right. Well, you've started to have a bit of a think. Um, We're going to look now at the passage for today, which um, the lovely Ali will read for us. And I'm going to bring it up there as well. So should be all right. Chapter 6, which is on page 971 of the Blue Church Bibles. 971. And we're going to start at verse 19. Verse 19, chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What will you eat or drink or about your body? What you will wear? Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grows. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass in the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thank you. Okay. Sorry about that at the top. I meant to say it's on the PowerPoint. Okay. So we'll have a little look at this passage and we're going to see what it has to say to us about this area. So the first thing we want to think about is where it says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. 
and then it goes on to talk about storing up in heaven. Now, this idea of storing up treasures on earth, Jesus taught a lot about finances. We often um, kind of skim over it, but a massive amount of his teaching was on this. He was warning people. He was speaking to people who weren't particularly wealthy, and yet he was warning them about making that their goal in life. We see parables... um, Oh, not right. Where am I? There we go. Sorry, it's a bit lost. Um, We see parables that Jesus tells, such as this one. It says um, he's talking about a guy who's making more and more money. Um, He keeps doing really well with his harvest, loads of grains coming in. And he he says, the man is saying this, I say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God and they're really tough words aren't they this idea of being rich towards God storing up treasures in heaven and not doing that here on earth and it's difficult message when we're told all the time that we must store we must protect we must shield our stuff from other people Paul gives some advice to those that do have money which would be us as we've already seen we do have He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. And this is important for our enjoyment. And I think sometimes when we go down this line, we can seem to think, oh, we mustn't enjoy life. Yesterday, I had an almond croissant. I named it as my favorite bit of the day that I felt most blessed by and I was most thankful to God for. I enjoyed it. I can afford it and I had it and I really enjoyed it. It says, command them, these are the rich, to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves, a firm foundation for the coming age that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And here we see that we see that just like last week, slowing gives us that spiritual fruit of patience. That simplicity develops that spiritual fruit of generosity. Here we see they are rich in good deeds and they are generous and they are willing to share. And in this way, they lay up those treasures in heaven that we've been reading about. They're not, they're being rich towards God. Secondly, on our, um, on our main passage, he goes on to, Jesus goes on to say about the eye being the lamp of the body. And he's talking about healthy and unhealthy eyes. 
Healthy eyes see things for as they are. Unhealthy eyes are distracted. We may be wealthy, and that, in a sense, is okay. But our goal, our focus of our eyes cannot be to allow that to be our goal, or it will master us. Paul says that those who desire to be rich fall into a trap. Their eyes are focused on attaining wealth and possessions. And those eyes are ultimately covetous eyes. They're desiring what they don't have. And they will do whatever's necessary to attain it. We have been given loads and we should be thankful for that. But I think it's really helpful for me when I think about my wealth as not being my own. That nothing I have is mine. It's God's. Otherwise, I go around with the idea that I have got it. I own it. It is mine. I must protect it lest somebody else take it from me. Can you see how I'm now storing and my treasure and I must keep my treasure? Whereas when we are generous and free and we give it away, it's not ours. It's God's to protect. It's God's to give. And it brings freedom. Jesus lays it out for what it is when he says no one can serve two masters. It's God or money. It's tricky, isn't it? Because we know that we say we're trusting in Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with having insurance or pension or things like that. But we need to hold it lightly. These things ultimately don't protect us. God does. These don't ultimately bring us joy and satisfaction. God does. So when we get our perspective right, we will know joy. It says that your father knows what you need. Life is more than clothes. God is our provider. And when we get this muddled, we find ourselves feeling anxious. That's what he talks about. Don't be worried about tomorrow. Because when it becomes down to, I must get it, I must keep it, I must look after it, then we're anxious about losing it. I had someone that I was shopping with and they said, "Uh, if I don't buy it, I get a weird feeling. I said, maybe we should think about what that feeling is. Not just give in to it, but think, why do I feel the way that I do? What we have from God must be available to others and it must be cared for by him. If we've got it because it's mine and mine alone and I must keep it safe, then we must ask, well, what is the antidote to this? It's so easy to get anxious, anxious that someone will break in and take something, anxious that someone will damage something, anxious that we will lose our wealth, anxious that we will lose our pension, anxious that we will lose our job, anxious that this will happen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Sounds quite different. And Jesus says, well, what's the antidote? And the antidote is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
If we live in a culture that says that we should seek wealth first, we should seek attainment, we must pass exams in order to get a good job, and why must we get a good job? So that we can get financially secure, so it's financially stable, financially independent, then to swim the other way is a bit like, imagine you're in Southampton and you're paddling your kayak. This happens, okay? When the sea is coming in, it comes in quite slowly. So say it's coming in, I can paddle, I can just about do it. But every day there are sort of two tides, it's a bit weird. Um, And the second tide, it goes out really fast. And I mean, it's like the tide's been coming in and then suddenly the tide goes whoosh. And if you're trying to paddle against that tide, it is near on impossible. It is so strong. And that, I feel, is a real picture of what we are in, in our culture. It is a really strong tide, and we'd be foolish to think, I can handle it. I think we need more. He says, seek the kingdom and his righteousness. His righteousness comes through faith, remember. It's not something we earn. We don't, we don't live simply so that God will love us more. It's through faith and trust in him. And his goal for us is that we become more like him. Last week, we saw that the goal of God is that we become like his son. So our eyes, as Hebrews said, must be fixed on him. Richard Foster calls it this, a divine center, his kingdom, his righteousness. Because without a divine center, we can have many good reasons for doing this. For example, you might simplify your life at home, like I have, because it now takes me five minutes to tidy my living room. I'm feeling calmer, someone comes round, we're okay. I simplified the children's bedrooms because I needed to get them to a place where they could put their stuff away. One of them has far less stuff than the other because they can't cope with more than that. I simplified what I wear because I think, well, now I have less choices. I wear this and I wear this and I wear this and it's on a rotation. It's simple. I simplify what I do because it makes me feel calmer. I don't have so much to do. I simplify my children's lives because they aren't a Victorian woman waiting to be presented to their husband because they have grade six piano and they can paint and they can do all this. They actually don't need 25 clubs every week. They just need one or two that they like and they enjoy. Otherwise, why am I sending them to these things? There are lots, what I'm meaning is, there are lots of good reasons to simplify, including the environment, including global justice. But as Christians, our center, our divine center, our goal of simplification is his kingdom and his righteousness. His kingdom has in it justice, environment, it has all those things, but it's his kingdom. And his righteousness, my goal in life, I gain that, uh, is to trust him more. Because a righteousness that comes through faith. I want his righteousness, but it comes from him, not by me 
being a particularly nice person. I want to be transformed into his likeness. Without this, we can drift not only into wrong goals, but we can also drift into legalism. I'm a bad person and I must not eat that ice cream because there are so many reasons why I shouldn't eat it or I cannot enjoy my my car today because you know it's awful we'll drift into legalism of i must do this and i must and we become something more aesthetic and i don't think jesus meant us to be like that at all so i'm going to have two more questions hopefully there they are so i want your first one in what ways do you see the pursuit of wealth and stuff as a trap Okay, remember we said um, that pursuit of wealth is a trap. And secondly, how does our goal in simplifying our lives and stuff make a difference? How does the goal make a difference to us? These are a bit tougher. I'll give you five more minutes. Off you go. Okay, well, we're going to end there today. There is loads we could talk about. But I think we'll just... um, we're going to come to a wrapping up of this. So we've talked about, um, you know, last week we talked about a rule of life, didn't we? And we talked about how sometimes people withdraw into monasteries or closed communities in order to slow down. And we have certainly see people do that, again, with simplicity, don't we? We see them signing over all their wealth, everything they have, in order to kind of almost like a Band-Aid be ripped off. But we also see other Christians that choose to live in the world but not be of it. And this is where a rule of life can come in. Last week we had slowing down as a rule that we might want to incorporate. Remember, this is you, not not me. This week we have simplicity. Is that something you want to begin to incorporate? And yes, it will need a lot of thought. I'm two years in, I've got a long way still to go. But I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more patient. I want to be more generous. And every time I manage to give something away, to give financially, I know it's a struggle. I'm not going to lie. But I want to be generous. I want to feel that freedom and that joy of giving. The freest I think I've ever felt was when I came back from abroad and all I had was literally what I was standing up in. Just the clothes I had. I had nothing else. And I felt very free. I'm not suggesting everyone does that. Like we were saying, sell everything, give it to the poor. But, yeah, I did feel free. And Jesus certainly, you know, he had a job. He worked. He had wealthy friends who fed him. He liked eating. He liked drinking. He was called a glutton (laughs) because he did so much. He really enjoyed life didn't he he wasn't saying to everybody give everything you have and give it to the poor but he was touching a heart where is our heart what is the center of what we do so this week you want maybe some things you can start to pray always good that god would reveal your heart You can do that simple thing before you buy anything, asked, what is the cost? And see the wrestle that begins, (laughs) because you'll struggle to buy anything 
but what is the cost? You could start by taking a good look at your stuff. Start wherever you like, t-shirts, shoes, mugs, whatever it is, and see what emotions come up when you try and part with it. And bring it to God. Just bring it to him. This is not easy. You cannot, this is a marathon. You can give it a go. Why not try just wearing a few outfits for one week? See how it feels. What happens? What will happen if you wear the same clothes two days in a row? I mean, I'm not suggesting underwear, but, you know, what will happen? When were you given the message that you had to change your clothes every single day? And why were you given that message? And be kind to yourself. Remember, God loves you. He's far kinder to you than you are to yourself. Letting go should bring joy. So let's pray now. Father God, as we look at simplicity, we know that it's anything but simple. But open our eyes to see. Help us keep taking those baby steps towards what you want us to be. Help us to keep the goal, your kingdom, your righteousness. Jesus, you offer us a heart transformed and softened. Please do that work in us as we partner with you. Help me to remember that nothing can ever separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so we commit this coming week to you. In Jesus' name, amen.